Hello and welcome to the Why I Knit podcast. My name is Dr. Mia Hobbs and I'm a clinical psychologist who is passionate about knitting and its benefits for our mental health. Each week on the podcast, I interview a different knitter about why they knit and how it benefits their mental health. This week on the podcast, I'm joined by Andrea Liu, who is known as the Knitting PT on Instagram and YouTube. Andrea is a physical therapist or physiotherapist, as we would say in England, who is also a passionate knitter and provides videos and advice on posture and stretches and ways to manage pain associated with crafting to help more of us have a pain-free way of accessing the crafts that we love to do. Hi, Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for joining me. So I always start the podcast by asking where your story with knitting began. So where did yours start? Um, yeah, it began, let me think. So I learned to crochet first, but that was when I was in high school. I didn't really take to it very well. Um, and I still am not very good with crochet. But then when I was in college, I noticed a girl just sitting in one of the common rooms knitting while she was watching TV. And it really intrigued me. Um, partially because I think ever since I was a child, I always had this yearning to create. Like uh, when I was a little child, I tried to learn how to quilt um, or to sew. That didn't end well either. Um, and so I always had this yearning to make. Um, and so when I saw her, I am a very shy person, but something inside me, I just went up to her and I just said, would you teach me how to knit? Like what you're doing? And she was like, yes, like I will. And so for, I don't even know how long, maybe just a few times we would watch TV in the common room and she would just teach me the basics of knitting. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of how I started. And after that, I was just more self-taught from YouTube. Um, and I didn't do it quite often until I was studying for my board exams in grad school. And I was so stressed out. And at that time, I'd been really into, I found my way back towards quilting again. Um, and while I was reading all these quilting blogs, this was, you know, back in the early 2010s when blogs were all the rage for crafters. And this quilter I followed, she started knitting. And I thought, oh, wait, you know, I kind of forgot about that. And she was knitting socks. And then I thought that was, I thought that was so cool. I thought it was super neat. It never occurred to me that you could really knit socks. Um, and so I told myself, you know what, when you're done studying for your board exam and you're waiting for your results and, you know, you're waiting to look for a job, like you're going to learn how to knit socks. And that was my reward for myself. And uh, that's kind of where this this train of where I am now, where I'm knitting garments and all these kinds of things, that's where I attribute it to starting is from that obsession with having to knit socks. <laughs> I think I sat there and I knit nothing but socks for six months straight. <laughs> wow. And what do you think it was about the socks that was appealing? Was it the, is it because kind of they are a bit complicated in the construction or what was it that seemed so cool about it? Yeah, you know what? I I think even now, I'm not quite sure. I think it was the construction. It seemed like magic to me. Yeah. And I think even now when I do knit socks and I turn a heel, I feel like I've done something magical. Yes. <laughs> I completely relate to that. I remember the, I've said this before on the podcast, I think when um, the first time I knitted a sock and I was just, this is the same as when I sew now, which I'm much less experienced at than knitting, that I was just following the next instruction. I could not conceive of how this was going to turn a corner 
in my knitting uh-huh. <laughs> but like what I could do was follow instructions and that's what I did and then I stayed up really late like after midnight literally just sitting there knitting because I wanted to figure out like how this was going to end <laughs> like <laughs> it was turning a corner <laughs> it was like magic okay did you knit something straight away with the girl in the common room did you start a project or was it just kind you of know knitting what? I don't for the sake of knitting I don't remember I think it was just knitting for the sake of knitting yeah mm. Okay, and then it was the socks that hooked you in. Yes. And how did you graduate then to knitting other things other than socks? Uh, Let's see. I think after the socks, you know, that was when I found Ravelry for the first time Mm -hmm. and discovered, you know, there are patterns. There's a website with patterns. You can see other people's projects. And from there, I went into shawls because I think shawls to me appealed to me because of the color play that you could do. Yeah. You know, shawls are typically more than one color. There's a lot of textures to them. Um, and at the time, you know, and this was nearly 10 years ago at this point, by the time I thought I will never knit a garment that seems like too big of a problem. That seems like too much. Like I will just stick to knitting accessories. And so then for several years, all I knit then were cowls and shawls and just playing with color. And, um, I just love that part of it. And then it wasn't until the pandemic that I discovered the knitting Instagram world and from there, you know, I started following other people and I started getting really inspired by the people I saw who were making their own garments. And that was the first time it seemed like maybe this was attainable. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time I was living in Texas, which is very hot. So for a while I thought, you know, yeah. I shouldn't make garments. Like I yeah. will never wear them. Um, and then that was the first time I think I discovered kind of like cotton blend yarns and mm-hmm realized, you know what, I think I can make a garment, you know, I could at least make a short sleeve tee or something that's more wearable. And then from there, it just kind of all spiraled. <laughs> okay. And then you kind of got the bug. And I think it put me oh, off yes. knitting garments for a long time, because I was thinking it would be stressful to try and make something that would fit, you know, mm-hmm. a person like you have to kind of get the right gauge and that kind of thing. And I think with shawls and scarves and even hats, like they're fairly forgiving. Whereas I was thinking a jumper would actually really have to fit a body. Otherwise it'd be quite annoying to have done all that work. Yeah. But I love it now. And what's your relationship like with the stuff you've knitted? Like, do you wear it mostly, keep it, gift it? I usually keep it and wear it. Um, There's something about it. I think that it brings me like this feeling of joy every time I wear something I've made um even though it's even if it's been something I made years ago like Mm -hmm. I still feel this like sense of specialness when I put on a shawl that I made years ago and then even if you know a lot of knitters talk about how they love that feeling when someone asks them when someone tells them I love your sweater or I love this or that and they get to say I made it that doesn't actually happen to me that often um but it doesn't, I don't care because yeah. what matters more is just like, I have this feeling of pride. Like I made this, I don't care if nobody else like realizes or wants to tell me, like, I feel special when I wear it. I feel like it, it makes me feel like I got dressed up. Yeah. Yeah. I have. It's so funny, isn't it? I think so many of us have that feeling of specialness. Um, some people talk about it feeling a bit like a shield when they go in the outside world. But I also think like, if I'm going out somewhere, I feel like what a wasted opportunity not to wear something I made myself. Like, because it feels like that's a special thing to wear rather than I think what I used to think was, I don't know, buying a new dress to wear or I don't know, that it had to look a certain way. 
Uh, whereas I think it's completely changed my concept of what special is. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay. And what do you think made, because uh, it sounds like crochet wasn't quite your thing when you learned. Did you learn at school or just while you were at high school? I learned crochet from my mom. Okay. Um, at home. And the funny thing is she actually used to be a knitter. Um, she, it wasn't until I got interested in crochet and then years later with knitting that she told me that she'd made my dad a sweater when I was, when I was like maybe one or two, she did him a sweater. He never wore it cause it was itchy. <laughs> then I started remembering that in childhood, we used to have balls of yarn that would just sit in a basket. And I used to think they were decoration cause I never saw them being used. <laughs> and I think that was her yarn. It was just like, but she just never picked it, picked it back up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and what do you think it was about knitting? Because it sounds like you tried lots of different crafts and quilting and had lots of, I don't know if knitting is your main thing now, would you say? It is, yeah. Yeah. And what do you think it was about knitting that's kind of stuck as the main craft? I think, I think what it is, is that I love how polished it looks. I, it's a weird thing to myself, which I admit that even though something is handmade by me, I want it to look polished. I don't necessarily want it to have a handmade look okay, yeah. to it, you know. Um, and I think with crochet, I struggle a lot with the tension. I'm left-handed, but I was always taught right-handed ways to do things. Okay. So with crochet, I struggle a lot with the tension. I think with knitting, because it's you're using both hands at the same time, it was a little bit more, it was easier for me to catch on. Okay. Um, I love how portable it is that I can bring it with me anywhere. Um, you know, with sewing, you know, you're, you're, you're just limited to where your machine is. Yeah. And I'm also highly impatient, which is when I think about it, quite an oxymoron because knitting is not a fast yeah. fashion kind of Lots thing. Lots of people it's tell me I'm patient when they see me knitting, like random people <laughs> who, who don't knit. And it seems to be like people equate it with patience. Maybe it's because it's slow to make something. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then with sewing, you know, you have to be very precise, especially with yeah. your garment or really anything. You've got to be precise. And I'm not very precise. <laughs> and I think knitting is a little bit more forgiving to me mm. than, you know, cutting something permanently. Yes. Um, that freaks me out about sewing as well. Yes, yes, yes. But then I'm too impatient to to measure twice, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. The ultimate irony. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's portable. And do you think knitting benefits your mental health? Oh, I do. I do highly. Um, the first time I realized it was actually when I was postpartum with my daughter, the fir uh, my first birth. I, you know, I'd been knitting then. I didn't, I don't, when I think about it now, I'm not sure if I knit every day the way I do now, mm -hmm. but um, I knit probably at least like three to four times a week at that point. But then after I had my daughter, I had that feeling of feeling like, like I'd lost who I was. Mm. Um, like all my days were the same, the same tedium, just, you know, this endless cycle of nursing and changing diapers, putting down for nap and then, you know, start all over again. And, and I felt lost. And one day I decided to sit down and actually knit. And I think part of it was I felt guilty. I felt guilty if I sat down. And I felt like I should have been doing something for my child instead, or I should have been doing something for the home instead. Um, but then I decided to sit down and knit. And that was when, I don't even know how to describe it. I just felt like I was, I reclaimed a part of myself. Mm. Um, and so then from then on, I made it a point that I was going to sit and knit every day, even if it was just like five minutes. Mm. 
to kind of feel like I was reclaiming something for myself. Mm. I do remember the whole like with my second kind of stretching around a newborn sleeping on your chest and knitting. <laughs> I think it's a really good point that actually, you know, it's very difficult to have something to show at the end of the day for all of those repetitive tasks that have to like changing nappies and feeding babies and cleaning up the mess. Um, you don't feel like you have anything different at the end of the day because it all still needs doing again tomorrow, doesn't it? Whereas knitting, I guess, at least gives you a bit of something <laughs> that's still there, right, something uh, you've achieved it's, that's visible. Some evidence, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think it's also a super important, a important time to fit in something for you, isn't it? Like everything else is about caring for this tiny human and keeping them alive. Do you think you did it deliberately for that purpose? Or do you think you happen to pick up your knitting and then think and then realize afterwards that it was helpful? I realized afterwards. Mm. Yeah. Like that first postpartum period, it was, it was rough. Um, I think I had a lot of postpartum anxiety that I didn't realize. Um, You know, as a first time mom, I worried incessantly about if I was doing something correctly or if I was doing the best I could for my child. Um, And then add to that, my mother-in-law was staying with us at the time helping out, but there were a lot of tensions with, that kind of relationship and so um that was a point I think for me so for me I'm an I'm an introvert I am uh I have social anxiety also so home is somewhere where I always feel very grounded and it's very important to me but I remember that period of my life home feeling like it wasn't even a safe place for me because there were people in my home that didn't feel like they contributed to making a safe Mm. place and I think the knitting was the one little corner where I felt like I could retreat into it and focus on something and feel that sense of, of peace that I was longing for. Mm. Do you think like it, I always feel like it gives me something on a physical level as well. Like I feel like you could measure my blood pressure decreasing when I sit and do it, (laughs) that I feel calmer. I don't know whether you felt similarly or whether it was more the, yeah, it sounds like it was a little oasis in those difficult times for you. Yeah, it was. And you know what? It's funny you bring that up because I was remembering this other instance when uh, and this was uh, several years later. Um, and so I have social anxiety. And so sometimes when I go out into big crowds, you know, it's hard for me to to feel grounded. Um, I feel very overwhelmed with all the sounds and all the people around. And we had gone to some huge park where there were a ton of people around, all children running around. And I started feeling very overwhelmed. Um, and then my husband took my daughter off to go play on some play structure. I stayed behind with our ba- our second child, the baby. And I had brought my knitting with me. In that moment, moment I decided to whip it out. Because I thought, hmm. you know, I'm not walking around anymore. We're sitting down. I whipped it out. And in that moment, it was as if, you know, I could focus just on my knitting and all the outside world sounds, distractions that were overwhelming me kind of dulled down. And I think that helped regulate me a lot. And my husband even noticed later, he said, you know what, like you were, you, you seemed a lot calmer after you taken your knitting out and you seem like you could take everything in stride around you much easier. Mm. Yeah. And do you deliberately bring it as a kind of anxiety management tool or like a, I don't know, I call it like a little having a little spa in my handbag. <laughs> bring, bring with me. Like if I was doing something I was anxious about, like 
I don't know, sometimes, you know, we go to the dentist and you think, oh, I know this is going to be something unpleasant. Or I had to go and sit in a doctor's waiting room. For some reason, it took them three hours to get to the appointments. Every time at the hospital, I had something with my eye and all of the people around me, their phone batteries had died because they'd sat there for so long. And I was I got four inches of a sleeve done and I felt like (laughs) something something good happened and I thought resolved if I have to come back here I'm bringing extra balls of yarn and needles so I can teach (laughs) poor other people who've got nothing left to do (laughs) but I would have felt considerably more anxious without knitting right yes I think that there's something about knitting that allows my mind to not stop working but there is something about it where when I'm knitting and I'm focusing on what I'm doing Yes, my brain is still thinking, but it's a calmer pace. Mm. Um, like I knitting, I think to me is a form of meditation. Um, I have a really hard time with doing the traditional meditation where, you know, you close your eyes. I usually fall asleep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and but I think when I'm knitting, because my my brain is half focusing on something else, the other half I do. I thought actually when I do a lot of, you know, retrospection, a lot of self-reflection, when I think a lot about maybe something that just happened that upset me or um yeah it just allows me to to reflect in a productive way Mm. that it's as if the the movement of my hands still some of the business in my mind and allows me to really have those deep conversations with myself Mm. that's really interesting actually because it's very similar to how um, there's a technique called EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization. So that is based on the idea of uh, bilateral movements, which could be your eyes or your hands and processing kind of trauma. So it's really interesting that you find that actually do the movement of knitting, which is a kind of bilateral movement, I suppose, isn't it, with your hands, that it helps you to process. It doesn't have to be trauma, but just process the day's events in a way. Um, and I definitely feel like it allows it's almost like I feel like a different uh, department in my brain opens up sometimes I get different ideas when I'm knitting because I'm not forcing myself to think and problem solve like I am I think I guess a lot of the rest of the day Um, yeah what you said makes a lot of sense I've done EMDR before and then now you mention it you know I feel like yeah it's like a a less intense version (laughs) yeah exactly but in a way like it's a it's a self um like it's a version you can do on your own isn't it or you are doing without knowing it <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah I was wondering about your reflections as a physical therapist on knitting and I know now you offer consultations don't you to knitters about yeah I mean it'd be useful to hear about that and whether you see p- people falling in particular traps or I don't know if there's any other benefits you think of as a physical therapist that maybe we haven't thought of from our knitting yeah. Um, yes, I do consultations. I haven't figured out how to do them internationally yet in a way that I think is ethical and legal, Yeah, <laughs> but I'm working on it. Yeah. Uh, but because, you know, so many, so many of us find our way to this craft and discover it as a mental boost to us, right. Or emotional boost. But then there are so many people who grasp onto that so tightly that it transfers into their bodies mm. and there's a lot of tension. Like I see a lot of, you know, aching wrists, aching shoulders, aching necks. And it's interesting to me because a lot of people will just cling on to it in a way where they're like, you know what? It hurts. My neck hurts, but I'm powering through. 
there's this like general feeling of like, even though it hurts, I'm powering through because I love to do it. But then there isn't a lot of long-term thought behind that, that uh, mindset of powering through because then, you know, what happens if you cause yourself actual injury and you mm-hmm. can't do it for a period yeah. of time. And I got into sharing my information online because when I joined the knitting Instagram community, I started seeing people were posting, you know, like my hands go numb when I'm knitting or, you know, my neck is hurting so bad. Like, what do I do? And there were so many comments from people saying, oh, welcome to the club, you know, power through it. This is a badge of honor. And I thought, no, 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 no. (laughs) Like, that's awful advice. That's really terrible. Um, and I thought, how awful to do be doing something that you love to do and then to have it end in a spot where you have to take a step back, mm. where you can't even do it anymore, you know? Um, and I started getting into it too because at that around that time, I had a patient in my practice who came and she had neck pain. And when I asked her about the things that she liked to do that were being affected by her neck pain, one of the things she said was knitting. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I actually very rarely encounter people in work life who are knitters, or maybe they just don't tell me. Um, But this was the first time I encountered someone who was a knitter and one who was like, you know, I guess what we would quite pompously say a serious knitter, you know, someone who knits very frequently, it's part of their life. And so um, I was very excited to help her. (laughs) I thought, you know what, like I knit too, I knit too. And, you know, we can do something about this. You know, we can help your neck get to a point where you can knit without pain. And that was the first time I think I started delving into what kind of postures people knit into, knit in. Because when she described to me how she usually knit, she described she usually sat up in bed with her legs stretched out. And it was through troubleshooting her posture with her that gave me this idea of like, oh, you know what? People need help with this too. Mm. Like physical therapy isn't just for, you know, sports injuries or for chronic pain. You know, it can be for the things we love, like knitting, like crafting, um, you know, or gardening, whatever else people like to do. It's just for a reason, you know, we don't include crafts into what we want to be pain-free. And I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because crafting feels like an indulgence instead of a... Uh, what we call an activity of daily living in the therapy world, where it's like a task that you do daily. Um, But, you know, I think, why not? You know, crafting for many of us is a mental and emotional boost. You know, it regulates us or it brings us joy. Like, why can't we include that as an activity of daily living as just something like uh, grocery shopping or cooking, you know? Mm. And, And it was through that I, you know, it was just... It was so much fun, honestly, to help her with <laughs> troubleshooting her knitting posture and how she held her needles. I asked her actually to bring her project in. She was too uh, self-conscious to do so. <laughs> oh. uh, I think because we were in an office space, uh, I worked in a clinic that was part of her uh, workplace. And so she just didn't feel comfortable carrying her knitting into the office, um, which was too bad. Um, but yeah, that I think that's where everything started kind of melding together. And I started realizing that there can be there. I can help people who are maybe not knitting in the optimal postures who are maybe knitting in postures that are painful and they just don't know what to do about it. Mm. Um, Yeah. And it must be amazing for her because I think like it's so the idea of seeing a physiotherapist who 
who get the knitting like a you'll ask much better questions about knitting than a a physiotherapist who doesn't knit because you know the kinds of things a knitter would do um and you know all the right questions to ask but also I think mainly the idea of seeing somebody who actually understands like actually knitting is something that's really important to my sanity (laughs) or do you know what I mean I think that's the same way, I guess there are lots of people who maybe run a lot that would really struggle with, oh, you need to rest. You can't run for six weeks, like to understand that actually that would have a significant impact on a lot of people's kind of mental health. And maybe there's someone who's training for a race and that would be a huge disappointment and all of those things. You know, people can feel in very similar ways about knitting, I suppose, can't they? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And for some reason, you know, it was interesting to me that so many people, since I've started sharing my information online, so many people have said like, you know, I went to physical therapy before, but they don't know how to knit. And so it just seemed so foreign to them. And I thought, and there was a part of me that thought, why would it be, you know, part of our training as physical therapists is that we're taught to break down body movements Mm. and to troubleshoot, you know, what is going on. And, you know, it's not, you know, I don't run regularly, but I know how to troubleshoot how someone's running and how that could be detrimental. And so I thought, why is there such a block from the general physical therapy world, maybe of breaking down crafting postures in, you know, is it just that they're so unfamiliar, they don't want to do it? Or is it just a attitude of this is something trivial? Um, Mm. Because I think that a lot of people who are not knitters or not any sort of crafters, they have a hard time grasping the importance. Yeah of it in a in a knitter's world you know they have a really hard time grasping how important it is how it makes us feel um yeah and I mean I'm happy to fill that void um but I do wish that you know part of me does wish you know that there were it wasn't just me who was Mm. putting this out there that even physical therapists who don't craft could still sense that importance for their patients yeah yeah, for sure. But maybe, you know, seeing you doing that is helping other people realise, you know, actually, this is something that's really important and should be on maybe on their radar or asking their patients about how important is this in your life? If you can't do this thing, could be anything, couldn't it? It doesn't have to be craft. Right. Um, yeah, because I guess that's I'm interested in um you know, I have a couple of friends who are physiotherapists and the thing, there seems to be a lot of psychology involved in their job because in a way, telling people, giving them the advice on what to actually do is easier than getting people to do the things, (laughs) do the exercises (laughs) or like there's a lot of barriers that seem quite psychological sometimes that get in the way of people actually taking the advice. Oh yes, definitely. There's a lot of, um, what was it? I saw a thing online the other day where it was equating uh, toddlers to like little gremlins from fairy tales where you have to trick them into doing what you want them to do. You can't ask them outright. (laughs) (laughs) And my three-year-old is very much like that. But in a way, patients are kind of like that too. You know, you really have to, um, we call it buy-in. You have to get their buy-in. You have to get them to really sign on to what we're doing and why. Um, Because, you know, they might listen to you when they're in the clinic, but then if you want them to make those changes at home, you've got to get them to understand why they have to make the changes and why it's helpful. (laughs) And there is a lot of psychological part to it. Yeah, Mm. yeah. Because, you know, we spend a good amount of time with our patients, you know, I... I, you know, right now I work in home care where I go to people's houses and I spend an hour with them twice a week. Um, and it's more time than most healthcare professionals spend with patients aside from like therapy, I think. Yeah. And 
in a way because you you're always talking like I've had so many people who almost treat it like a therapy session where they start to spill you know their stories to me they start to spill the um maybe sometimes even the secrets they have or the their troubles to me and um and I think that they that there is a psychological therapeutic aspect to it because you know we're connecting with patients I think therapists and physical therapists um are two of the few healthcare professionals who connect deeply with our patients you know and get to know them very well and there is you know there's a lot of value in that of course we carry a lot of burden when sometimes we have to shoulder that but um I consider it I consider it an honor that they trust me with that to allow me to be part of their lives for that small moment you know Mm, yeah and it's a big yeah it's an honor and a responsibility isn't it I guess it's uh, I'm interested in this idea that they're that you're talking about people holding on very tightly to the knitting as a I guess because it's maybe been helpful psychologically or because it's a thing they do so I guess it can be helpful psychologically in a number of different ways can't it it can help you feel calmer or it can be like give you a sense of I don't know pride or achievement when you can churn out lot you know people who do knit very fast and produce loads of things and and I guess the pain threatens their psychological strategy doesn't it that must be a tricky trap to get into you can see why they would choose to power on through and why that's become a thing people do but that it doesn't ultimately help in the long term no and I think I think if any so I I have a theory that there are there are some people who use knitting as a way to numb themselves from what's going on in their life. Um, the opposite, I guess, of what I was saying happens for me. Mm. Um, because there's one of the things I talk about in some of the classes I teach is about improving your body awareness. And I kind of borrowed this technique and um, turned it into a body awareness skin that I learned from my own therapist. Uh, because whenever she had me, you know, reviewing my week, she would tell me, you know, tell me about a time when you felt anxious. And I would describe the situation to her. And then she would tell me, close your eyes and scan your body. And like, where do you feel your anxiety? Like, yeah. is it in your throat? Is it in your chest? Like, where do you feel it? And that I took that unconsciously. I told her later and I told her I, t- I took what you showed me in therapy and now it's out there on Instagram. I bet she's delighted. <laughs> oh, she was so tickled. She really yeah. was so tickled. Um, and I took and I put it out there as a, you know, identify your pain generator because a lot of people that I see often don't even know where their pain's coming from. You know, I ask them like, where does it hurt? And they're like somewhere, you know, and it's a general vicinity. And then if I ask them what makes it hurt, you know, what are some activities that make it hurt? Sometimes they don't even know. They're just like, I'm in pain and I don't know when and what. And so I turned it into a scan, a body scan where, you know, if you're knitting and you start to feel uncomfortable, like, stop, just pause. And you know, pause in the posture you're in, you know, don't don't get up and shake it off. Mm. But pause and close your eyes and scan your body and figure out where is that pain coming from. And then think about, you know, what kind of posture am I in? Like, am I all twisted up like a pretzel? Am I folded over? Like, are my shoulders touching my ears? And that kind of thing, just to help build that body awareness. Because I think, yeah, for some people, they they start to numb themselves in a way they use knitting as a way to maybe numb themselves from their troubles, which, you know, is fine too. But then when you numb your whole body to it, you know, that's where you get into that pain pattern too. Mm, That's really interesting. And it's funny that it's not something that's come up before, actually, the idea of 
because I guess we can use anything like that can't we it could be meditation or yoga like any of these things can be done in a way that's mindful and balanced and helpful or in a way that's too extreme and serves the opposite purpose and just distracts us and isn't actually helping us to um, find more balance in our lives it's interesting through these conversations I've realized how many of my choices about knitting are based on um, avoiding like repetitive strain Mm. type things I think I and that's been just through trial and error that I'm much better with small gauges um I don't knit thick yarn and thick needles and you know (laughs) I couldn't be one of these people who knits for hours and hours a day I don't have time anyway but um yeah but it's funny isn't it I think it's a very common thing in knitting I guess because it involves so many repetitive movements I suppose anything you do of that ilk has the potential to be to cause you pain or problems Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah Andrea I always ask about a significant knitting project I don't know if you can think of a project that's been significant for you uh I do have one um mm-hmm. and it's funny because I hadn't thought about it in a while but it's linked back to um what I spoke earlier about when I was postpartum and realized that knitting was something I needed to do every day that year um I was participating in a year-long knit-along for the Carson Throw blanket it's like this large circular blanket and I don't remember why I decided, I think I thought, you know, like I'll catch up at some point and there were, and with the knit along, there were monthly markers of where you were supposed to hit to keep up with, you know, being entered for prizes or whatnot. And that blanket, I think was, became the thing I reached for every day. I thought every day, if I can just knit like a row on this blanket, then it will, you know, I'll keep pace with progress keep peace with the knit along, but also after I realized I needed to do the knitting every day to keep myself sane, you know, it was a, it was a daily check-in for me. You know, it was like a, I'm going to reach for that blanket, knit on it for 15 minutes. And that is like, you know, my time. Yeah. And, you know, I did finish it, you know, and I finished it within that year. And that year, you know, that year was one of the most emotionally turmoiled years, I think of my life, just with being postpartum and being a first time mom and having you know, in-law attentions and that yeah. kind of thing. And yeah, when I look back, when I look at that blanket now, and you know, it's gone everywhere with me, it's sitting in my room right now. When I look at that blanket, it's all those memories together woven into it, um, good and bad. Um, but it was also, it's the largest project I've ever made to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think that one's very significant for me. I think that, you know, I look at that project and I think of that one as the one that kickstarted me on this journey of, you know, daily knitting and finding how important it was to me. Mm. And it's interesting, isn't it, that there's a lot of complicated kind of uh, feelings attached to that blanket, aren't there? I guess not all of them are positive. Some of them are difficult, but it's like, in a way, knitting such a good way of having a thing that grounds you through all of those emotions like riding the waves of all of those all of the good things and the bad things and they can all happen and I can still have this knitting <laughs> that can help you kind of <laughs> see the bigger picture and I guess it sounds like it really kick-started this uh practice for you of using knitting for your self-care it sounds like yeah it definitely it definitely did hmm. yeah that's amazing and how now you have a thing that can remind you of all of those things <laughs> getting through something challenging do you have a lot of memories attached with your other knits as well would you say um I think certain ones um you know there are some shawls that will remind me of certain times 
um, there is a, the first sweater I ever made, um, you know, I made this one sweater and then it felt like it took me forever that I didn't try to knit another sweater again until, you know, five years later. But that one I have specific, when I look at it, I can remember where I was when I worked on it. Because when I worked on it, that was right when we were getting ready to move from Boston down to Texas. And that was a very sad move for me. Um, I was excited for the possibility of a fresh start somewhere else, but I was deeply mourning leaving behind a great group of friends. And I have a lot of memories of, you know, the two months when we were preparing for a move and we were hanging out with our friends and that project came with me to a lot of places. And so when I look at it, I can remember, I, it's like, I can see the picture in my head. I can see, I can see what I saw when I was working on it, sitting in a particular spot. Mm. Yeah. So it's got all those knit- memories knitted in. Mm-hmm. I've got that with a particular jumper. We go back to the same place every summer for a summer holiday on a farm and um, I've got a particular yellow sweater. And I think part of the reason that that one's so memorable is I re-knitted the first two inches of that sweater, I think, five times. It was my, like, holiday <laughs> project I took with me. And I was getting to, like, probably got to halfway through the week and I was like, I still haven't. I have to cast it on again because I managed to twist it because it was knitted in the round or something. I messed up the pattern it started so many times so I re-knitted the first inch a lot of times <laughs> but that was where I started <laughs> knitting that sweater now I will always think of that have that memory when I wear that sweater. <laughs> um Andrea also always ask about mistakes like what's your relationship to mistakes in knitting ah it's a complicated one I think which I think is probably true for all people but I'm not someone who is you know that I'll frog all the way back if I find a mistake unless it's very obvious Hmm. um I had you know one of the things I struggle with a little bit is mistakes in general in my life it took me a long time to accept that mistakes are okay that there are something that you can learn from um I grew up kind of feeling like I had to be perfect every time I tried something for the first time or it wasn't worth trying um and so I have this complicated relationship with mistakes um And with knitting, I've realized that, you know, if I make a mistake, you know, it's not that I don't, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, you know, it's handmade, that gives a character. I'm the person who's like, I don't want to waste all that time I just spent knitting this part to have it wasted and gone because I had to frog back and change it. Um, Which I realize is not maybe the best mindset to have in that, you know, knitting is supposed to be more about the journey or uh, but admittedly, for me, I'm more of a product knitter. You know, I bring more, I have find more joy in the finished objects yeah. than in the process of knitting. Like I know there are plenty of people who knit and knit and knit, and they'll give away everything um, because they just love the pro- the the motion of knitting and what that brings them. Um, yeah, and so I have at least come to a point now where if there's a mistake and it's not glaringly obvious, if it's just like fixable like if it's I've got an extra stitch I can just knit them together and (laughs) go from there I'll do that you know um and part of it is just I have this feeling of I I wasted all that time (laughs) yeah but I think like I think you said maybe that's not the best approach to having two mistakes but I think like I kind of feel like we should bin the shoulds like I think you can have your relationship with mistakes I can have my relationship with mistakes I'm not sure there's one that's better than the other I guess the one that's best is the one you can like you can peacefully live with because I guess we can all assume that 
we're going to make mistakes <laughs> right. um, and they will happen and you're going to have to tolerate them and I'm going to have to tolerate them. And as long as we could do that in a way that doesn't cause us any deep mental distress, then that's probably fine. You can, you know, there's not mm-hmm. better or worse to rip it out. You've just got to find the thing that you can make your peace with, I suppose, haven't you? Mm-hmm. And that's the right path for you. I certainly feel like I've got, I like you, I'm not great with mistakes in general life. I've got better at it, but I think I've partially got better at it because of knitting, like because of learning from knitting. Mm. It's all right to make mistakes or it's just, it's completely normal and understandable to make mistakes in knitting. So you kind of accept those and then get slightly better accepting the ones that are outside of knitting. Still harder, but mm-hmm. I think I've got better at it over time. And I don't think I feel so distressed about mistakes in knitting anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. You know, it's almost like the practice of making mistakes I remember the first few times I dropped stitches, it was like a disaster had happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Felt like there was a disaster. But now if I drop stitches, you know, unless it's, you know, lay stitches, but if I drop stitches in regular stockinette, it's like, oh, that's no big deal. I know how to pick them back up. I know how to. How and to it does make a difference that you now are experienced enough to know what to do. I think, you know, there's a point at which certainly when I was learning to do that, YouTube hadn't yet been invented, but also like you need a even if now in the days of YouTube, you need to know enough about what you've done in order to be able to search right. The, the right thing to find the right yeah. video for someone to tell you what to do about it. I would love to hear about something unrelated to knitting that you do to kind of benefit your mental well-being. I, so for me, so I have a, what I find benefits my mental well-being is exercising. I'm not great about doing it all the time. <laughs> but oh, what, I do find, <laughs> what I do find when I exercise is that, yes, it does, you know, it does clear my mind a little bit. And what I found was, so for a long time in my life, I struggled with exercising regularly enough. Um, and over the summer was when I think this summer was the first time I exercised very regularly for the first time in my life. And it was the first time I started to enjoy it because I started to find myself getting stronger. Um, and I think for a while I always struggled with exercise because I didn't have the right mindset, you know, Mm. especially in today's society, a lot of us associate that with, you know, weight loss, with looking a certain way. Um, but this summer is the first time I kind of let go of that and started to see that, you know, no, it makes me feel a certain way and it makes me feel strong and makes me feel capable that I can push through. And in a way, I think it was, so when I used to exercise, if something started to feel an exercise started to feel like you know, really hard, I would just kind of give up and just like lay on my mat. Because uh, I also exercise at home, I don't go to classes. And that's partially probably partially why so I can just give up and no one will see me. <laughs> um, and this summer was the first time where I started to push through that barrier. And I started to be like, No, this is hard. I can do it. I can do it. I'm just going to keep going. Like it might look awful. I might look, might look like I'm dying, but I'm going to get through it anyway. And I started to for the first time, realize that a lot of my exercise relied on mental strength and not necessarily mm. physical strength yeah um yeah yeah and I think that really benefited me yeah hmm and it sounds like a lot of it was about mindset like the idea of I think that's true actually that there's a lot in the kind of dominant discourse about exercise of like shoulds and like it's like an obligation or like a chore yeah I think it's funny actually in in my house we both like I was never going to be a runner but the pandemic turned me into someone who 
needed to do exercise that could happen at any point <laughs> that could happen quickly yes. at the opportunity arose when there was another parent in the house and I could just go uh-huh. it couldn't be a class that had to happen at you know seven o'clock on mm-hmm. a Tuesday because that was never going to be possible um and I never ever thought I'd be a runner but actually now there's an almost kind of slightly competitive oh do I get to go for a run because you're doing the <laughs> parenting uh-huh. and that it's <laughs> funny that mindset shift has made it's it's now a privilege rather than a chore <laughs> and that makes it more mm-hmm. desirable I think just because of that's the mm-hmm. the way it is talked about in this house <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think a lot of exercise is mental yeah I think it's it's definitely yeah a there's more mental mindset behind exercise than I think we talk about um, and for me, it wasn't even that, I think in the summer, it wasn't even like I lost weight, honestly, when I was exercising was I, I took more satisfaction out of the fact that, you know, oh, I know last week I couldn't do this move that well. And now I'm powering through, or even just looking back and thinking, you know, like a year ago, I would have given up at this point and just laid on my mat and watched the lady on YouTube just keep <laughs> yeah. going. And, you know, now I'm doing it, you know, I'm not perfect like her, but I'm still, I, my mind is stronger you know yeah yeah I think it's and it's interesting because it's I think it in the people I've talked to knit I've gone into schools and taught groups of like high school age kids to knit and you can see that hump also in knitting like I think in exercise it sounded like you had to get to the point at which there was a difference you could see like you could feel stronger or you could see a difference in your ability to do a move and I think with any new thing Uh, there's the struggle of I can't do this yet I'm not good at it which automatically we're not going to be probably very good at something we've just started trying and I certainly saw that in this knitting classes of people struggling with ah you know it was a disaster I've just dropped a stitch and they would unravel the whole thing before I could get around the table and help them (laughs) tolerance for distress was zero and through the weeks they kind of slowly got to the point at which we were like okay if you've dropped a stitch something's gone wrong just freeze (laughs) just hold on for two seconds until I can come and help um it's not a disaster and it will happen actually let's expect it to happen the stitches will jump off the needles and you can see and it's so brilliant to see a person when they get to that point where they're over the hump and they could get to the bit where oh actually I can start seeing the point of this thing because I Uh think uh um as experienced knitters we can kind of forget sometimes that actually there was a time when we didn't know what we were doing and it all did get a bit stressful sometimes or in a big tangle (laughs) yeah yeah because I guess for you and I, that was quite a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. It was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I always end the podcast with asking, what's the greatest gift knitting has given you for the rest of your life? What do you think, Andrea? I think it's given me really great friends, actually. And I don't think I expected that. Mm. Um, you know, during the pandemic, you know, when we were all shut in from our worlds and um, I was living in Texas at the time and I hadn't really made many friends in Texas even then, even though I'd been there for about four years at this point, um, you know, just having young kids, you know, you don't, it's, it's difficult and it's hard making friends as adults, you know, yeah. um, without the structure of school or, you know, clubs. And, but then when I joined the knitting Instagram community, that's when I started finding people that were like-minded, finding people who enjoyed the same craft, who loved Chocobo yarn and knitting, you know, 24 seven. And some of those people have become really dear friends, um, you know, to the point where, you know, we've maybe only met in person once or twice, but it feels like I've known them for a lifetime. And they're the most, I think the least judgmental people I've ever met. 
and who I feel most free to be completely who I am. Um, maybe because there is a little bit of a societal look of like, you know, if you're knitting, you're a grandma, you know, mm-hmm. um, you're, if you knit, you're boring. You just sit at home and you knit, you're boring. And, um, but yeah, for the first time I found people who I think fully accepted me for who I was. And I felt like I could be genuinely hundred percent myself around them. And yeah. And I know some of these people, they're going to be in my life for the rest of my life, you mm-hmm. know, even if we never live in the same area. And I think that's the greatest gift that I've, I've gotten. Yeah. And it sounds like it was completely unexpected actually when you started. Oh yeah. 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 I was never someone who wanted to make friends on the internet. You know, I was someone who never commented on forum boards or anything like that. Um, Yeah. And it was just completely, completely unexpected. Hmm. But such a big gift. Mm -hmm. And I guess if you're someone who has moved quite a bit, you know, if your community is online, you can just take them with you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) Well, Andrea, it's been so lovely to hear your perspective on things. And thank you again for putting your videos out. They always make me sit up straighter and think about my wrist position and all of these things. And I think it's really (laughs) helpful that somebody is putting, you know, a qualified person is putting great advice out there for us all to benefit from. So if people want to hear more about your work and follow you or join your Patreon, how would they do that? Uh, my website is www.ptandrea.com. And then on Instagram, I'm the Knitting PT. Uh, my Patreon is also, I believe it's patreon.com slash the Knitting PT, or it might be Andrea Lou, L-U-I. But either way, everything's linked on my website. Um, that's the easiest way to access everything. Yeah. Okay, super. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you would like to find out more about my work, you can sign up to the newsletter on my website, which is therapeuticknitting.org. You can also follow me on Instagram at Knitting is Therapeutic. If you've enjoyed the podcast, it would be brilliant if you could leave me a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe because it helps more people to learn about therapeutic benefits of knitting.